I'm Pastor Brian, one of the teaching pastors here. And we're in this series, we're in week four of a series called Emotional Intelligence. And if you're new with us today, uh, typically we do, we do three to five week series. This one's a five weeker. And if you've never heard of EQ before, let me just, before we get into week four, let me just kind of summarize what EQ is. Uh, EQ, or technically emotional quotient, kind of like your intelligence quotient, your IQ. IQ measures how smart you are. EQ measures how healthy you are relationally and emotionally. So some people have really high IQ, and their EQ's terrible. And so if you're here with us today and if you've been in this series, this has been a, I think this has been a great series. I've been waiting to do this series for some time now because we're kind of getting into uh, the kind of stuff that God really cares about. We had a men's group a few weeks back when we first started this emotional intelligence series and one of the guys comes and shows up and he just said, hey, I'm not going to come to church for the next four weeks. I don't like this stuff. This sounds weird. This sounds like, he's like, what is that church that Tom Cruise is part of? We're, we were like, Scientology? He's like, yeah, this sounds like Scientology stuff. Like, what are you talking about? And what, come to find out, he had just never heard of this EQ before. So it just sounded weird to him. And so he said, could somebody just explain to me what this is? And, and it's right there. EQ is your ability to love yourself and others. EQ, and again, this, is a, this was a term that was coined, I think, back in the 80s by an author. But it's... The concept has been around from the beginning of time because it's, it's part of what we all experience as human beings. EQ just simply means your ability to know and love yourself and then your ability to love other people. So that's what EQ is. And if you remember, Jesus told the, told, uh, the Pharisees when they said, hey, what's the most important law in all the rule book? And Remember that Jesus didn't give him one of the Ten Commandments as the answer. What he said was the most important thing is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Your ability to love your neighbor as yourself is what EQ is. Can you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Now, obviously, we at, here at Alpine, we believe that the ability to have good EQ, the ability to have IEQ, is all dependent on your ability to love God. Your relationship with God impacts your relationship with your neighbor. Your ability to love God impacts your ability to love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what the EQ series is all about. We're jumping into the two sides of emotional intelligence. Uh, one side, and we've already dealt with the one side in these last two weeks, the one side of emotional intelligence is your, is your emotional health, your, your ability to, to, know, to know yourself, to be self-aware, to know what gives you worth, what gives you value, from a biblical perspective, what gives you worth, what gives you value, so why, why, you can, why you can put stuff on the table and deal with it, why you don't have to run from that kind of stuff. So that's the emotional side, your ability to love yourself. And again, we don't mean that in some cheesy sort of new age way. We just mean God wants you to love yourself because he loves you. He loves you. He's good with you. He's good with how he made you. He loves you. So, so many people, they have, they have the reason that they're toxic people relationally. If you know anyone toxic in your life, or maybe a boss or a friend or a parent, if you know someone who's toxic, what you, the person, if, you're, if you think about it, is you know someone who's very unhealthy emotionally. Toxic people 
People who are unhealthy emotionally, people who are not self-aware, people who don't know how to love themselves, people who don't know how to point out and, and address their weaknesses and their strengths, those are unhealthy people. So people who are unhealthy emotion in here, people who are unhealthy in here, end up being unhealthy out there. People who are not comfortable with who they are, they're not comfortable in their own skin. They don't recognize, they haven't dealt with their insecurities before. They haven't dealt with their, their, their weaknesses, their sins. They're not honest about that. Those are unhealthy people emotionally, so they're unhealthy in here, and hurting people hurt people. So if you're unhealthy in here, you're unhealthy out there. Now, before I jump into all this, I, I just have to say that some people say, I'm uncomfortable talking about this in church. Why can't we just study David or Moses? Why can't we just study theology? Doesn't God care about theology this is not stuff God cares about. We shouldn't do a sermon on EQ. We shouldn't do a series on EQ. This, this is like weak sauce. This, is, this, is, this isn't the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Well, I, I want to address that first before we get into this. Number one, I wish that in my church growing up, I wish that we had done a series on EQ when I was in high school because I would have so benefited from this my parents would have so benefited from this. My siblings, our whole family, would have so benefited from this. I grew up knowing a lot about the Bible and theology because, thank God, because of the church I went to, I'm very grateful. But I didn't grow up learning about any of this kind of stuff at all. Maybe I would have learned about this in high school or in college. Maybe. But I definitely wouldn't have learned about this in church. To me, that's terrible. God cares about this. He cares about your emotions. He cares about your relationships. So I wish that my pastor growing up would have done this, and that's why we're doing this, is because we want to give this, this gift to families that we never received, because we want families to go home and talk about this. We want couples to go home and, and say, let's talk about what we heard in church today. Let's, let's talk about relational health. Let's talk about emotional health. Let's kind of open, pull back the curtain on this. Let's open up this can of worms and let's deal with this and let's, let's grow in this area. This is what we hope that you do. And that's why every week, whenever you see that QR code there, that'll bring you to the resources online that have discussion questions to go along with everything that you're hearing today. So, and it also has all the, slide, all the information that you're gonna see up on the slides today. So we encourage you to take this home and talk about it. But this week, AJ and I, my son, my 17-year-old son, he and I are reading through 1 Timothy together in the Bible. And something jumped out at me in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that I have to read before we get into this. Because Timothy, or Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is, is one of the leaders in the early church. And he's writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor in the church. And here's what he says. I want you to, I want you to hear this in the context of what we're about to study. Here's what he says to Timothy. He says, I, I urge you to stay in Ephesus to stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. So he's talking about what they're teaching in the church. I'm sharing this to talk about why we're doing this in the church. Because some people would say, why are we doing this? We should, be doing theo we should only be studying theology or character studies or something. But look at what Paul said to Timothy. He says, don't let those teachers, this is 1 Timothy 1, don't let those teachers waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. See, in the early church, apparently what had happened is teachers came into the church and they were just, they were teaching pointless stuff. 
They were, they were, it was, it was very IQ-ish. It was very much like theological and it was like diving deep into myths and pedigrees and Here's what he said. Here's what Paul says about this. He says, these things only lead to meaningless speculations, this kind of teaching. Teaching that is just all up here and it's, none of it's down here. He says, these things only lead to meaningless speculations, listen to this, which don't help people live a life full of faith to God. So what he's saying is, Teachers have come into the church and they're, they're, all, they're so like up here in the clouds with what they teach from week to week. It's meaningless and it's, he says it is of no practical value to people living their life every day. I love that. And then Paul goes on to say this in verse five, the purpose of my instruction, Paul says, the purpose of my instruction, in other words, here's, why I, here's what I preach, here's why I teach. He says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love. That's what this series is about. It's about your ability to love yourself and love other people. And this is what Paul cared about. He says in verse six, but some people have missed the whole point. May we not be Christians who go to church and pull out our Bibles and study Greek words and Hebrew words, and there's nothing wrong with all that. We just got done studying a Hebrew word study. It was great. But may we not be people who do all that stuff and miss the whole point. What's the whole point? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So today, we're going to talk about loving your neighbor. We're going to talk today about, and I don't know if I have control. Oh, there we go. Three signs of relational health. Another way to say this is how to know if you're loving your neighbor How to know if you're loving your neighbor. Are you good at loving your neighbor? That's what we're going to talk about today. There are three ways that you can know if you're good at loving your neighbor. And what I want you to do today as I share these three signs, I want you to think about, I want you to grade yourself. How are you doing in these three areas? What score would you give yourself in these three areas of relational health? If you're good at relationships, and by the way, at least 20 years ago, I was pretty bad at almost all of these. My wife is really good. Her EQ is really high. My EQ was really low, but she, the good news is you can grow in your EQ actually a lot better than you can grow in your IQ. You can actually learn, learn ways to relate better, and your EQ can grow pretty easily. It'll be good for your marriage. It'll be good for your friendships. It'll be good for your work life. It'll be so good for everything. So three signs of relational health, and I want you to grade yourself. Don't grade your spouse. Don't grade your kids. Don't grade your friends, don't grade your boss or your coworker, grade yourself. Let God deal with them, you, you deal with you, all right? Number one, a relationally healthy person is personally authentic. This means that they know who they are and they don't pretend to be something that they're not. If you're relationally healthy, then you're real. Now the opposite of authentic is fake. I struggle with this, if I can just be honest with you, if I can be authentic. See, I'm growing in this already. If I can be authentic with you, I struggle in this. The reason I struggle in this is because I'm a people pleaser. So I want to please people. I want you to like me. And so therefore, in my relationship with you, instead of being real, I'm going to be who I think you want me to be. 
Can anyone relate to that? Some of you maybe would say, oh my gosh, like that's, you just described me. Some of you aren't like that. Some of you are just jerks. You don't care if people like you or not. But I, I, I care about if people like me. Tracy's the same way, so both of us, we both struggle with this, that we're people pleasers. If you're a people pleaser, be aware that this is an area where you might need to grow because people pleasers tend to relate to people in such a way that they would not be mad at them, in such a way that that other person would like them. And so what what ends up happening is you end up pretending to be something you're not. You you end up pretending to be, you, you end up living out of a life of pretense Instead of just being personally authentic, like, hey, this is who I am, take it or leave it. This is just who I am. There's something freeing to be just authentic, to not be fake, to not put on, to put on masks. You know, social media teaches us the opposite of this. Social media teaches us to, to project the, like the best version of ourselves. And so nobody even knows who anyone is anymore. Like, we've Anyone who's grown up in this social media culture, you're fighting against this, this, this desire to, put, to project an image of yourself that's not real. And then I think we bring that into our lives. But if you're relationally healthy, if you're healthy in relationships, that means this one relates to our week two message where we talked about being self-aware. If you're self-aware, you recognize your strengths and weaknesses, you recognize who you are, you know that God's good with you, and so you're good with you, and so you're okay with just being that, being that you to other people, and so you live, you live this life that God wants us to live. You live this life where that nobody's pretending anymore, and could you imagine how powerful that kind of family or marriage or church or small group would be if you're just like, this is who I am. So therefore, you can help me if I'm, if I'm struggling because this is who I am. I'm not trying to pretend. I'm not trying to put on a false front. Relational health starts with that, is that, you, you, that you're willing to be authentic. Let's look at some scripture, Romans 12, verses nine and 10. Here's Paul writing this. Paul, the same guy that wrote that letter to Timothy that I just read. Paul says this to the church in Rome. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. That's a great passage. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. And he says, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. See, I think if we, had a, if we had communities, if we had families, if we had marriages where this was the rule, not the exception, I think people would be dying to become a Christian. If this is what marked Christians everywhere, is they, they were just honest. I mean, have you ever met that person who's just honest? They're not, they don't pretend, they're just honest. Now, that doesn't mean they're, they're unfiltered. There's a difference. That doesn't mean that they're just a jerk. Some of you are like, oh, I don't have any problem being personally authentic. I'm totally authentic. Well, yeah, ask someone else in your life how that's going for them, right? So some people don't have any, they're not people pleasers. They're on the other end of the spectrum. They're just, they're real, all right, but they're real jerks. We're not talking about being a real jerk. 
We're talking about being authentic in your relationship with one another. We're talking about not putting on false fronts. We're talking about saying, no, you're right, man, I just really struggle at that. I remember with AJ, when he was younger, my son, when he was younger, playing basketball, and he's like any kid, he's insecure. You know, he, he wants to win, he wants to be the best. And so from a young age, we would talk to him about that because we would see how his insecurities played out on the court. And if somebody made a, made a good shot, one of the things that we taught him to do is I said, AJ, when somebody makes a good shot, tell him, man, good shot, that was awesome. Like when an opponent makes a good shot or if they stuff you, like tell him, man, that was good, nice play. Instead of the, the natural thing that is, uh, we get bowed up and we're going to be defensive, we're going to look, we're going to ask why the ref didn't call a foul or whatever, right? All the natural stuff that we do to try to, to try to cover up that that guy just was better than we were. I was like, AJ, no, just be like, be real with him. Say, dude, that was good. I wish I could shoot like that. And we worked on this with AJ from 12, 13 years old. And it took him a while, but he grew in this. And now he's got this this authenticity, even on the basketball court, that's really unusual. How about you in your own life? Can you be authentic? Can you say, I'm jealous that that guy got the job or that that guy got the raise? Can I be authentic and say, man, that was, I'm good for you. That's awesome. Good for you. That's a relationally healthy person. Number two, a relationally healthy person has empathy for others. This means that they've developed the discipline of seeing things from another person's point of view, even when they disagree. Empathy is, empathy is your ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Here's, here's how we're wired as human beings. Every one of us is naturally wired like this. We see things from our own point of view. You can't not see things from your own, own point of view. So that means in a marriage, when you're having a fight, you have perspective A, she has perspective B, and you just, when you're interacting with each other, you have no concern for perspective B. You only think, you cannot help but see it from only your perspective. Now this is something that my wife really helped me with when, in marriage, that when I came into marriage, is she, she's, because of her training in in counseling, she's, she's taught me this thing called active listening. If you've never heard of this before, you, you really, you've really missed out. People hear this. Young people hear this. Old people hear this. Middle-aged people hear this. Men and women hear this. Active listening means when, you, when you're approaching a situation that might be a conflict or that is currently a conflict, that when they're saying their thing, what you're, just be, be, be honest about it, what you're doing is you're preparing your rebuttal to them but what, if you're healthy, what you're doing is you're actually listening to perspective B. Like really, don't even, don't prepare your rebuttal. Listen to perspective B. And, and the way you can know if you listen to it is if you can repeat it back to them. So one of our rules in, in our conflicts, Tracy and I, when we're having a conflict, if, especially if it's getting, if we're, it's clear that we're not hearing each other, We've, we actually have learned to just stop and say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. What I hear you saying, Tracy, is this. And she'll do that. She'll stop. She'll say, 
So what I hear, so what I hear you saying is, you feel frustrated because of this thing that I said or the, because I keep doing this or I keep not doing this. And I'm telling you, if you can, it's such a practical little discipline, but you notice it's a discipline. It's a discipline because it doesn't come naturally. If it came naturally to you, it wouldn't be a discipline. So you develop this discipline of stopping yourself and saying, okay, wait, let me see if I can understand this problem from your point of view. Because I've, I've never seen a, a, a marital issue where 100% of the problem was on one side. It's been close, maybe 95%. But I've never seen a marital issue where 100% of the problem was the guy's fault or the woman's fault. So we're imperfect human beings. Part of that imperfection is we're wired to see things from our point of view and to, and to just sort of settle ourselves in our perspective and never to have empathy so that we listen and say, I'm so, now that I can see it from your perspective, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for, for it to come across like that. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings like that. I'm so sorry. I, I feel terrible. That was, so, that was so terrible of me to do that. That's empathy. And it takes discipline. I love this passage. Write this one down. Hebrews 12, 14. Work at living in peace with everyone. Oh, what a great verse. Peace is not the natural state of your marriage. Peace is not the natural state of your marriage. You have to work at it. My dad told me before I got married, he said, son, this is gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done in your whole life. Tracy just learned this a few weeks ago. She's like, seriously, your dad said that to you? I said, yeah. And it wasn't, it's not that he had met Tracy. That was supposed to be funny. That's funny to me. It was, it was that he, he's been married. And he said, it's gonna be the hardest thing because you've got another person you're trying to be one with and you go, basically what he was saying is you're going to have to work at it. And by the way, my dad has worked at it and he and my mom are still married to this day and their marriage isn't perfect. But they have to work at living in, in peace with each other. It's not gonna come naturally because what comes naturally is for you to be selfish. What comes naturally is for you to think about your own self and your own needs and your own perspective first. And so in relationship with somebody else, whether, whether it be marriage or anything else, you have to work at it if you wanna be at peace. If you don't wanna be at peace, if you always wanna be at war, you actually don't have to work at it. Just do what comes natural. But God wants us to work at being empathetic. He wants us to work at the discipline of putting ourselves in someone else's shoes. Instead of the, the thing that comes most natural to us, he wants us to say, wait, hold on, let me see if I can understand how you feel about this. Let me see if I can put myself in your place. Let me see if I can treat you the way I'd want you to treat me. The golden rule. It's all about EQ. And that's what love's all about. So that's the second marker, is that you have empathy. Now, I have to say, you can go too far and you can have ruinous empathy. 
Ruinous empathy is where you can only see it from their point of view. It's what people pleasers do. And so you're only responding to it with, so that you don't make them mad. You're only responding to it so that, so that you don't upset the apple cart because you think conflict is bad and unhealthy. And ruinous empathy actually is addressed in the last marker. The last marker. The last marker of a relationally healthy person is that they step into healthy conflict. They bravely speak the truth in love when it's, whenever it's helpful. Some of you, I recognize some of you say, healthy conflict? I've never heard of such a thing. In fact, uh, one of our pastors, his wife said, she actually didn't believe conflict could ever be healthy. She thought conflict was by necessity bad, that conflict was unhealthy. I've met a lot of people who think that way. Now for her, the reason she felt that way is because whenever she saw conflict in her home growing up, it was her parents fighting and her parents ended up getting a divorce. So the message that that sent to her is that conflict is always bad because conflict led, led my parents to get a divorce and that was really painful. But the truth is, that they were doing unhealthy conflict, and unhealthy conflict, sure, can lead in divorce, and that's no good, but there is such a thing as healthy conflict. In fact, no conflict is unhealthy. If you're in a marriage where there's never any conflict, I would say, watch out, that's actually a very unhealthy marriage. Because conflict is a necessary part of our of any good relationship is you're willing to step into healthy conflict. I've never met anyone as good at this as my wife. She can step into unhealthy, she can step into healthy conflict with incredible ease. Some people are really good at this. I'm not, I had to learn it. I'm still not great at it. But Tracy has the way to step in where she doesn't, it doesn't make you feel like she's putting you on, she's putting you on the defensive. She can step into a conflict just very graciously and bravely, and it really does take courage to speak the truth in love. So she can step in. I, I, I saw this early on. Uh, she would step in and, and speak truth to her dad. Her dad's a big guy. He's, he's, a, he's a powerful executive in Chicago. He's a big guy. He's a, he's a kind of, well, he's my father-in-law, so he's an intimidating guy, Right? And she had the ability to speak truth even to her own dad. Like, Dad, I, I don't think you should have said that to mom like that. And she could tr speak truth to her mom. Again, not in a way where she's trying to be a jerk or, or she's trying to, you know, put herself in a position of authority over somebody. She just has this incredible ease with just speaking truth into a situation. And probably more impressively, both of her parents receive that and don't get defensive about when, when their daughter speaks that into, into their lives. And so I was determined that in our, in our marriage and in our family, we were going to establish this, is that we were going to be a family of healthy conflict, that we would allow people to speak truth into our lives. And we'd be willing to do the same. So if you were in our home last night, you would have seen that AJ and Kenzie, our kids, were having conflict. And it was, and it was about... They were about to go to bed, just mad at each other, and Tracy stepped into it, even though it was way past Tracy's bedtime. Tracy stepped into it, and she said, hey, what's going on? Something's not right here between you two. And it, 
turns out that, yeah, they had had some, you know, AJ was a jerk to her and she was a jerk back to him. And, and Kenzie, who's wired like me, was just going to go to bed and be bitter about it because that's what we Dwyers do. We just sweep it under the rug. We don't deal with conflict in a healthy way. We just sweep it under the rug. The problem is you're, you're going to deal with it. It's just you're going to deal with it now or you're going to deal with it down the road. And so Tracy's just so good at it. And she's, so she, she said, hey, well, let's talk about this. What, what's going on? What happened? And to Kenzie's credit, Kenzie was he- walking down the hallway to go to bed. And she turned around and she came right back and she sat right down. And she looked at AJ and she engaged in that with AJ right there. I can't explain to you how big of a win that is that you can have a 20-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old son who also have conflict and that they're, they're learning how to deal with it in a healthy way. And I was sitting there last night saying, oh, their, their spouses, their future spouses are gonna love this. That they, that they can deal with conflict in a healthy way, that they're willing to engage in it, that they're willing to step into it and face it in a healthy way. This is what God wants, and this is a great sign relationally if you're able to do this. Galatians 6.1 says this, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, if you're the healthy one, here's what the healthy one does. The healthy person gently and humbly helps that person back onto the right path. Oh, and by the way, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. In other words, you're not above it either. That's the humility that we need to have in our relationships. It doesn't say that if someone else is overcome by some sin, you who are healthy should ignore it and hope it goes away. No, it says you need to step into it gently and humbly, but you need to help that person get back onto the right track. This is the kind of stuff that I see. And don't think that the sin has to be some terrible, egregious sin. That sin could be just what we saw last night, which was AJ spoke negatively to Kenzie, and Kenzie didn't like it. It was was not like this sin that anybody would be like, oh, that's terrible. But Tracy was the godly one who gently and humbly helped Kenzie and AJ get back on the right path. That's health. That's what God wants in our families and in our relationships. And Ephesians 4 affirms this. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. There's that word again, peace. Peace is is a relational word. Peace means that you do relationships right. And this is what God wants. God wants us to be people of peace. He wants there to be peace in our marriages. He wants there to be peace in our friendships. He wants there to be peace among our siblings. He wants there to be peace in our society, in our culture, in our church. He wants peace. He wants relationships that are healthy. That's what peace is, healthy relationships. So work at it. That's what God wants for all of us. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people of peace, that you would help us to be reconcilers. Lord, for some people in here today, they would say, 
I need to grow in this. I'm not a healthy person relationally. I know that's me. I can admit that that's me. You've helped me to grow over these last 20 years, and I've got a lot of growing to do still. And I know there are people in here, there are husbands and wives, there are moms and dads, there are kids, there are brothers and sisters in here who would say, I need to, I need to be healthier. God, may we not miss the whole point when we study your word. May we not just study it to see what the Greek and the Hebrew say, but may we study it so that we would live lives full of love. Help us to do relationships well because people matter to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.